The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. How many of you would agree with the words in that first hymn that Jim was playing? By the way, Jim, when I get to heaven, I'm going to be able to play that way. I need thee every hour. How many of you would say amen to that? Yeah, it was a song my dad would play every morning as he got older. My dad played the steel guitar, and first thing in the morning, he would go into the workroom, and he would sit and play that hymn, I Need Thee Every Hour. And then the following song, Jim led us in, and instrumental worship was, Where He Leads, I Will Go. It's one thing to sing the hymn, right? It's another thing to implement the hymn. The last few years, more than any other time in my life, I've begun to think of the question, J-Mo, what will be your legacy? How many of you relate to that, where you have that turn in life, and you've done all the things that you think you might want to do, and while they've been enjoyable, Maybe you've accumulated some things that you never thought you'd have, but then the real question of life, what is a legacy going to be that I leave? To put it another way, what, what would my wife or my kids want to say at the eulogy when they're there at my funeral or memorial service, right? And I've kind of concluded in life that as a man, as a woman, as a person, that, man, if I, can, if I can live my life loving God and honoring Him, although I'm sometimes weak in that, but being persistent in that, growing in Him, loving my wife as a man, as Christ loved the church, and loving my children in an unconditional way so that they might know the grace of God, I figure at the end of life, I've scored a grand slam. You with me on that? This last week as I was praying through Acts chapter 20, what struck me as Paul was there on his last missionary journey, as he would be going to Jerusalem, most likely to deliver some of the funds that he had received from the other churches to help that suffering church there in Jerusalem, Luke tells us that he wanted to get there by, by Passover to celebrate that great feast there in Jerusalem. There were some things that stuck out to me as I looked at Paul's life as a disciple maker, what you and I are called to, the mission that we've been given not only as a church, but each individual believer in here this morning has a mission that we've been given by Jesus, and that is that we would display the grace of God that we'd win some to Christ, leading them to Christ, or sharing the gospel message with them, making disciples of them, teaching them how to follow Jesus as we follow Jesus, and then teaching them how to make disciples themselves, and then sending them out to do that, that that's the mission that all of us have. And I looked at Paul's life, and I thought, he's nearing the end of his life, and I saw some things in this chapter that I would title the message this morning as a disciple-maker's legacy. 
some things that we're going to recognize about Paul's life in Acts chapter 20 that, that should be or would be, by God's grace, the legacy that we too would leave on when we have left this world and gone on to the next, the hope that we have through the resurrection of Christ. And so take your Bibles and follow along with me as I begin to read in, in verse uh, 17, this closing part of the chapter. If you remember in the earlier chapter, Paul was there in a town and he was preaching and he went on to midnight and there was a young man sitting there in the window and he fell into a deep sleep and he fell out of the third story window in the house, fell dead and God miraculously raised him through the dead from Paul. I think that was put in there by Luke for all of us pastors or teachers to give us some hope that occasionally we may have one doze off on us as well. Well, let me warn you, I don't have the gift that Paul had, and I may not be able to raise you from the dead, so be careful. Paul is on his way back to Jerusalem. We pick up here in verse 17. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus, and he called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. Serving the Lord with humility and with tears and trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. Testifying both to Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit not knowing what would happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction await me. I don't know about you, but I'm not sure that I would be continuing to be bound for Jerusalem if I knew that these things were awaiting me. But then he says in verse 24, But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching and proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church which He obtained by His own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves there will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, he says, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night and day to admonish every one of you with tears. And now I commend to you by God, to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel, you yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. 
In all things I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus. Now he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them. There was much weeping on the part of everyone there. They, were embraced, they embraced Paul and they kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word that he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Let's pray. Father, we pray that by the Holy Spirit of God, Lord, you'd work in our hearts through your word. God, that by your word and the Holy Spirit, we would continue to be transformed in the likeness of Jesus, Lord, that those things that we see in Paul this morning as we look at this chapter, God, that you would work effectually in us to make us that way. We ask it in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen. The first thing that I want us to recognize in this passage is that Paul lived a life of servitude. In other words, Paul didn't just talk about being a servant. He actually lived a life serving other people regardless of who they were or where they came from. That he amplified or exemplified most of all what we would talk about the great command where Jesus said all the commands are summed up in these two that you love the Lord God with all your heart mind, soul, and strength, and that you love your neighbor as yourself. We talk about that as that being the vertical and the horizontal axis of relationship, that Jesus took all of the law and he said, look, this is what's main thing, the main thing, that you love God and you love others. Jesus himself given the example when he said, look, I have not come to be served, but I have come that I might serve you. And there at the very end of his life, he demonstrates that by having his disciples come around him and, and not expecting to have his feet washed. He humbles himself and does what only a household servant would do, and he washes his disciples' feet. A life of servitude. I want you to notice a couple of things that Paul begins with in verse 17. He says this. Look back at the verse. He says, or excuse me, verse 19. He says that, you know, preceding that, from the first day I set foot in Asia, I was serving the Lord. Notice the priority here. Paul's priority before he would serve anyone else was that he knew and recognized that it was the Lord Jesus himself he was serving as he was serving others. And he says, I have served the Lord. And the first thing he says is that I have served the Lord with humility. Now, sometimes I get the wrong idea, or we get the wrong idea of what humility is or what being humble is. And sometimes we think the idea of humility or humbleness is to walk around like this and just, and just be, just be, just be kind of mealy-mouthed and that. But if Paul, if we look at him, Paul was not that at all. Yet he recognized who he was in God's sight, and through that he served in humility. Let's get a little better understanding of what this humility is that he served. Later he would write in one of his letters a description of this where he said that we're to consider others better than ourselves. And that's the first thing I would say that would be an outline for us as to live a life of humility is to have the attitude that everybody else is better than we are. We all live that way, don't we? 
Consider others better than yourselves. Now notice that that verse, Paul doesn't quantify what the others are. It's everyone, and regardless of how they are, who they are, we are to consider them better than ourselves. David, when he was writing Psalm 131, as he began to open that psalm, he had the attitude of humility when he wrote these words, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up and my eyes are not raised too high. In other words, God, as I'm coming to you, my heart's not haughty, some translations say. I'm not puffed up. And my eyes are not set high. God, when I come to you, I recognize who I am in light of who you are and how far short I fall of your righteous requirements. So that's the first attitude of humility, is just being honest and recognizing where we are in light of who God is. James said it this way, Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord, and in due time He will lift you up. I find it interesting that twice in this passage, Paul makes a statement. He says, you yourselves know how I lived among you. Paul's not bragging about the way he lived among them, but he's saying, look, in my life, I set the example, and you know how I lived my life among you. In other words, I was transparent before you. I was honest before you. I recognize who God is, and I recognize how far far short I fall of His glory, except for the grace of God. He says that, with humility I served you. Notice the second thing he says in this verse. He said, I was serving the Lord not only with humility, but with tears. Two times he repeats this in the same passage as well. Here in verse 19, he says, I serve the Lord, serving you with tears. And then in verse 31, again, he says, with tears I served you. (laughs) Paul had invested himself in the lives of these people. You see, it's one thing for me or you to express a concern for another individual, but where God has done such a deep work in our heart, where we're serving them, Paul says, listen, I have served you, and I'm serving the Lord, not only in humility, but with tears for you. We can see what Paul wrote in many of his letters to the churches as he cries out to God for their people, not just for their well-being in life, but most of all their spiritual well-being with the Lord. The third thing I want us to see in this is he says, not only did I serve the Lord with humility and with tears, but also with trials. Look at verse 23, if you will. Again, Paul says here that in every way, the Spirit of God had been letting him know what was going to happen to him, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. And as we've looked in the book of Acts and we see the life of Paul, it seems like everywhere that Paul goes, there are afflictions that are going to follow him. And my goodness, for three years, he spent time there in Ephesus, pouring his life into those believers. And in the midst of that, he uses the phrase that there were plots that the Jews were contriving, not just to dethrone him, but to kill him. Anybody ever had anybody pursuing them to kill them? Now think about that. 
If I had been Paul, I think that I might have thought, listen, what I'm doing is causing me trouble, and they're developing plots against me, not just to cast me down, not just to overthrow me, but they're developing plots to kill me. Yet, in the midst of that, because of his love for them, his desire to serve the Lord, he remained there so that he might serve them, regardless of what the consequence may be in his life. He recognized as what he would write in Romans 5 himself and the passage that we're so familiar with that James begins his letter in saying this, related to trials. James chapter 1, verse 2, beginning there. Paul, uh, James writes and he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith... Now notice James says that trials for us, are a testing of our faith. In other words, a truing of our faith. He says, Consider pure joy when you face trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and steadfastness must have its full effect so that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. Oftentimes when I encounter trials in my life, the first thing, question that comes to my mind is, God, what are you trying to do through this trial in my own life? That's the occasion when I happen to be spiritual when a trial hits my life. On the other occasions, the first thing I say is, God, please get me out of this. But we recognize that God allows trials in our lives of various kinds. That He may prove our faith genuine, and so that through that we might grow in perseverance. I wish it was another way. It's kind of like the pressure cooker of life. That it's through that pressure of trials that God conforms us greatly to the likeness of His Son Jesus. Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 5. When he talks about suffering or trials, beginning in verse 3, he says not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And you see, I think Paul understood as he wrote this, through the experiences that he had, not only in Ephesus where he's addressing these elders, that in those times of trials, rather than checking out and finding a better way, an easier way, a better path, he recognized that God had called him and placed him there to serve not only the Lord, but to serve those that were there. And in that were trials that were created and perseverance, character, what was what most important on God's heart and mind in his life. We find throughout Scripture many accounts of God's people going into trial, sometimes because of their own decisions, but most often of God allowing and directing them in those situations of trials so that they may grow in endurance in the faith and at the end of the day their character would be changed. I used to tell my son all the time when he was growing up, son, character is everything. Amen? 
You see, God's committed to one thing in our lives as believers. In other words, this is something He's not going to waver from. God is committed in your life and in my life to conform us to the likeness of Christ. Amen? He's not interested in conforming us to a good churchman. He's interested in conforming you and I to the likeness of Christ. Why? Because we are what we talked about last week, that mystery, the body of Christ, so that Christ may display His life through your life and my life so that others may come to know Him personally. Amen? The second thing that I see in Paul's life that was a legacy as a disciple-maker, we've mentioned it, but, but Paul had a genuine love for others. I, I think we can read over this and read over the life of Paul and not recognize that that in order for him to continue in the mission that God had called him and to continue to love these individuals with a genuine love, that it was going to be a great cost that Paul was going to pay. How many of us understand that love costs greatly? Genuine love. If you've ever stepped out to love somebody, you know that in that stepping out to love someone, there's going to be hurt involved in that right? You see, it had cost Paul a great deal. It had cost him a lot. He was emotionally and effectually tied and connected with these believers, and he didn't have to stay there in Ephesus amongst all of that trouble. He had the option that he could leave, but he had a genuine love for them. His concern was more for them than it was for himself. You see, when I look at Paul's life, I recognize that Paul had the attitude that he just wasn't a hired hand by God. It wasn't just a job to Paul, but it was a mission that God had given to him by the Spirit of God, that his heart was changed, that he genuinely loved God, and he had a desire to love others and love those in particular that were part of the body of Christ, those who Jesus paid a great price for. He had done what Peter had spoken of in this love. He had genuinely loved them from the heart. I can say I love you. You can say you love me. But until that's tested, then it's not genuine love. Does that make sense? I've said this before, and I think it's true. That in order to love others the way that Christ has loved us, in in that unconditional kind of love, that we first have to go through and endure opportunities that will come in order to hate the other person. (laughs) Does that make sense? Because look at the person next to you. There are some things about that person next to you that are unlovable. Amen, Debbie? (laughs) Now look across the room. And there may be somebody on this side of the church that somebody on that side of the church will never sit on that side of the church again because there's somebody over there that they have not gone through to love as Christ has loved. And something has happened where they've been offended, they've been hurt, etc. And they say, well, you know, I'll just keep myself away from them. Oh, me or oh, my. 
You see, if we profess to love, then we allow the Holy Spirit to change our hearts, to conform our hearts by the Word of God so that we might genuinely love. Notice what he says in verse 20. I think this is interesting. He's kind of going on with an example of how much he had been with them. And he says, listen, I've even testified to this gospel from house to house. Paul had spent time in their homes. It's quite possible that around many dinner table, Paul was there. And even among the dynamics of family dinner, you know how that happens sometimes? Paul was there. where he loved them and went out of his expected bounds to demonstrate Christ's love to them. Notice in verse 24 the attitude, though, that that Paul has that, that I would pray so much that myself and we would all have this same attitude is that Paul was on the bottom of his list. It's kind of like that Christmas list we made this year. Somebody go ahead and confess. Your name was at the top of the list, right? See, Paul's name was at the bottom of the list. Notice what he says here in verse 24. He says, I do not account my life of any value, nor as pressures to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus Christ. It's what some refer to as that upside-down pyramid. That Paul recognized as in leadership, servant leadership although he had the rights of an apostle he considered himself lower than all the others isn't that reverse from the psychology of the world's leadership you know we use these organizational charts where at the top of the pyramid is the CEO or the director of the leader Listen, Paul believed in an inverted pyramid following the words of the Lord Jesus where he saw himself and his purpose to serve others and love others. And regardless of where you and I spend our day, whether it's in the home all day, whether it's out in the workforce, whether it's in the arena of government, Wherever it is, no matter how high we may climb in that status ladder, 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 the mind of Jesus is that I am here to serve as I lead. And so Paul exemplified that in his life. Notice he says in verse 21, And in this loving others, he testified both to the Greeks and to the Jews. I find this astounding. Being a good Pharisee, at one time, Paul in his life would considered every Greek a dog. Okay? My, the work the Holy Spirit had done in his life. To where those who were once despised by Paul, looked down upon, rejected by Paul, he would now go out of his way to serve them and loving them regardless of what their background was. You see, our mission is to display the grace of God to all people, amen? Regardless 
for they're all created in the likeness of God. We read in verses 36 and 38, as Paul was departing there, there was, there was great weeping, and not a single one of them was not weeping. Somebody said this, and I don't know who said it, but the one who loves much is loved much. The one who loves much is loved much. The third thing we notice about Paul and the legacy he would leave was that he had a commitment to the Word of God. Look at verses 20 and 21 in this passage. Paul says, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. In other words, in the midst of threats, I didn't shrink back from declaring to you the message of the Word of God that was profitable to you. And I was teaching you in public and from house to house, verse 21, testifying both to Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in Jesus Christ. In verse 27, he says, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. If I can kind of put this in paraphrase terms, It would be like this, listen, regardless of who might have not liked what I said, regardless of what kind of backlash I may get from it, and in Paul's case, regardless of the very threats of my own life I may get, I will not compromise the Word of God, amen? The legacy that we leave hopefully would be one that not only did we know the Word of God, but that we lived the Word of God. And like myself and all of us in this room, oftentimes when we do not live up to the Word of God or according to the Word of God, whether by mistake or whether by intentionality, that our hearts would be that we would be willing to repent towards God. Lastly, in this passage, Paul gives some parting admonishment to these elders. By the way, elders, pastors, shepherds, same group of people. And don't pass this off as though he's talking to pastors here, and it doesn't mean anything to me. Look at what he says in verse 28. But this should be an application in all of our lives. He says in the beginning of this verse, Pay careful attention to yourself and do all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church. Notice the priority there. Paul says, Pay very close attention to yourself. He would later write to Timothy in that second letter just before he was going to meet his demise, the end of his life, as Paul would write. He says to Timothy in chapter 3, verses 14 and 16, if you've got your Bible, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 16, he writes this. He says, Timothy, you know how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. Earlier in 1 Timothy, he had written these words to Timothy. Timothy, 
keep a close watch on yourself. Sometimes we're more concerned about what other people are watching than being concerned about keeping a watch on ourselves. Timothy says, pay close attention, keep close watch on on yourself and your teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. I was thinking this week as I was meditating on this, each one of us are one decision away from catastrophe in our lives, in our Christian walk. (laughs) One decision away. I think the idea that Paul had in mind when he's writing this to Timothy is, Timothy, keep watch on the private matters of your life. You see, we can get real good at keeping watch on the external matters of our lives. There are only two people that know the internal matters of our life, and that's the Holy Spirit of God and our own conscience. A.W. Tozer, when he was writing, said this in one of his statements. He said, do you know who gives me the most trouble? Do you know whom I pray for the most? A.W. Tozer wrote, me. And he wrote it a second time, me. Just myself. That's the one who gives me the most trouble. Closing admonishment to these elders, these pastors, and an admonishment to us. But keep a close watch on yourself. Paul, a number of times, said, examine yourselves. The last thing that he admonished them in was in verse 32, where he says, And now I command you to God and to God to the word of grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. The word of grace. the gospel that God through his love and no merit of our own would so love us that he would send his only begotten son who was holy and free from sin, God, very God, that He might willingly lay down His life and purchase us by His blood so that we might have the hope of salvation and eternity. That is the word of grace. Notice what He says about the word of grace. It will build you up. It will build you up. In what? In your faith. Daily recognition that God is a gracious 
and loving God. And God, I'm so thankful that you loved me and you saved me. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers, located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers.com.